This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. We have unintentionally been on a bit of a hi- hiatus where things have gotten crazy while the apocalypse has begun. I know, and, right? <laughs> right. Um, but welcome back. We have a couple of episodes that are actually planned that will be coming out fairly soon. Carrie, how are you today? I'm all right. <laughs> as well as anyone can be. Yep, yep, fair. Um, for those that don't know or are listening to this in the future, when you are all safe and sound, we are at the beginning of the COVID-19 quarantine time for most people. Um, things have gotten very, very interesting. So um, we are talking today, though, about the Werewolf Player's Guide, and we'll try not to be too depressing or depressed or in Hirano, whatever term you want to use for Today we're talking about the Werewolf Player's Guide for Second Edition. This is mm-hmm. one of the few books that there are three of for every edition, or there's one for every edition, first edition, second edition, and revised. And this is a really interesting book. I have lots of thoughts about it. I'm sure Carrie has lots of thoughts about it. Uh, published in 1998, uh, written by everybody. Uh, <laughs> There were a lot of people in this book. <laughs> yes, uh, a lot, a lot. Um, Justin Achille, Andrew Bates, Bill Bridges, Jackie Casada, Jim Comer, Richard Dansky, Lon Franson, Brian Glass, Ed Hall, Stephen Herman, Eileen Miles, James Moore, Devin Parker, Nikki Rea, Ethan Skemp, Fred Yelk are the authors, with developed by Ethan Skemp, and art by Ron Brown, Steve Ellis, Jason Felix, Richard Kane Ferguson, Michael Gatos, Pia Guerra, Tony Harris, Jeff Holt, Brian LeBlanc, Vince Locke, Steve Prescott, Jeff Rabner, Ray Snyder, Ron Spencer, James Stowe, and Joshua Gabriel Timbrook. I think they just tapped everyone that was working at White Wolf at the time. I, I think so. And the, I think this is the first werewolf product that Michael Gatos worked on. I could be wrong about that, but uh, it's the first time I remember seeing his name in a werewolf book. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, this is an interesting book. I'm just going to do a quick overview of what it is. It's, in a lot of ways, the book you would want to give your players if the core rules didn't already have these rules. Um, it, it covers a lot of mechanical elements that a player would want to know, a lot of story elements that a player should want to know, and it covers a lot of ground that other books have already covered. Um, which makes I kind it, of feel yeah. like it's the genre Bible yeah. for werewolves. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe it is a collection of, hey, we've had this sort of unofficial Bible on the game. Here is our semi-official one that yeah. players can have. And that makes me feel better about the additions because then I'm like, oh, it's just a different version of the Bible. Mm. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. It's a new translation. It's the New American Werewolf Player's Guide. That was a that was a funny was <laughs> to, to probably anybody else, but <laughs> um, yeah, this as a book. Uh, I don't know. It's not bad, but I just I kind of there are really really good parts of it and parts that I kind of skim through and go, yeah, it's there. I will use this on a game night and otherwise I'm never going to pick this up and look at it again. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a lot of just picking stuff from other books mm-hmm. and it's nice that way you don't have to carry all those other books with you. Yeah. In, in that way, it's a good, like, Hey, here's one book you need. You need the core rules and you need this book and you could walk away and not necessarily need anything else. So right. that's something. Yeah. Um, and 
it starts off with what I feel is actually one of the most important stories to the meta plot in Werewolf. I'm going to back you up again. Oh. I feel like I always do this to you. you do. Let's talk about the cover. Let's talk about the cover. I love this cover. <laughs> I love it. It's yep. so ridiculous. It's great. Um, it's, it's Albrecht and his pack. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I like, I think my favorite part about the cover is how, uh, how, how pissy, uh, Evan looks on the cover. Yes. Um, you know, cause he's got his arms folded and he looks, although he's only supposed to be 18, he looks older than that, but he just looks like he's pissy and like, you know, I'm here cause I have to be, <laughs> it just cracks me up. And I think he's in glabro form in that picture he's got to be in glabro because mari is always in glabro Mm -hmm. and he's almost as big as she is right and but even in glabro he looks like a pissy little (laughs) piss ant you know (laughs) yeah he's still an 18 year old like snotty kid yeah you know i mean at least he looks like a snotty kid he doesn't look 18 though like he looks older than that facially but it's like but you know and and i love i love mari who's clearly in glabro and, you know, she has arms to die for. Like, I yep. think she may have been one of my first girl crushes. Like, <laughs> can see um, that. You know, although Albert cracks me up because it's like, he, he looks like a grumpy old man. Yeah, and he's not that old at this point. Like, he's in no. his 40s, isn't he? So Yeah, and, and now that I'm in my 40s, I can very much say, that's not that old. Right. Like, you know, but yeah, he looks, he just looks weathered and beat down and, and he also looks pissy. Like, there's something wrong with the picture if Mari it looks the least pissy out of the three of them. <laughs> Considering she's the character who is like renowned for being the most angry and grumpy mm-hmm. of them all. Yeah, yeah, that is Absolutely. saying something. Um, but it's just, it's just a fun painting and I really like it. I'm not sure who the people in the background are supposed to be. There's there's three, there's uh, Krinos and two Lupus. And I kind of feel like most likely one of them is probably the Stargazer and the Bonar they hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know who is who. Yeah. But overall, I, I like the, the, the painting. I like the cover a lot. They, who, I can't remember who painted it, but the, uh, the colors match the, the weird purple orange marble effect that they use in all the werewolf books. Uh, they, whoever painted this clearly looked at that and went, well, I have to match the cover to this. Mm -hmm. And that was nice. Yeah. I think it's Steve Prescott art, but I could be wrong about that. I, I think it might be. It looks like his stuff. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is when we were deciding or picking out like what, oh no, it's Dan Bre, uh, Bre- Brereton. Dan, okay. sorry about that. Dan's art. Um, and he also, I believe, did the art for the Player's Guide for Revised. Yeah because the art's almost identical just with different characters and when we were deciding oh what book are we actually reviewing today it was kind of like oh it's that one clearly because that's the you know people on the cover and carrie was, and like, I was like no, no that's the margrave <laughs> and i was like oh wow he is in almost exactly the same position as albrecht is on a throne which i think there's some shade there oh, <laughs> hope so um, I actually really love this cover art too because it's super dynamic. Like I feel like there's a lot of story being told in it. Yeah. And even it just for that element of it, I was kind of like, this is the type of art I would like to see on every single one of these covers. And mm-hmm. we start to see art like this on a lot more of the covers in late second edition, early revised we get this type of dynamic art that really tells us a lot about what's happening within the book. Well, I think they realize that their, um, their consumer base, the people that are buying these books actually do care about these NPCs Mm -hmm. uh, about these, these named NPCs, these huge characters, you know, part of the reason we, we bought these books was to follow their story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so it's nice to have a face to the name. Yeah. And I think it's 
It's one of those things that when they started the games, they didn't anticipate the meta plot was going to be as engaging for readers as it was. And as it still is, it, I actually find myself going back and rereading books for the meta plot frequently. And even when I was buying these, I was buying most of the books for LARP purposes. Originally, I still was like, I enjoy reading these. Every single one of them I picked up. I was like, I'm here to read this cool book and then play some parts of the bits of it. I, I agree with you. I actually think that they were still in the mindset of vampire. Mm-hmm. And while people would go, oh, these are cool NPCs and vampires, nobody cared. Mm-hmm. You know, because all of the NPCs were thousands of years old or you know, everything happened thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Everything in Werewolf is happening now. Mm-hmm. Ironically, really now. <laughs> and and so like we, we I think as a reader, we feel way more connected to these to these characters in these books. Yeah. I agree. Their story seems way more, you're going to interact with these characters. If you don't interact with Jonas Albrecht and his pack at some point, mm-hmm. it's okay. You're probably just going in a different direction with your game, but it's odd because they're so integral to what's happening right now. Yes. Werewolf. Absolutely. Agreed. Which brings us into the story that starts off um, the book, which um yes. I think this is one of the most important meta plot stories in Werewolf. Insofar as it finally links up the story that be, that uh, started in the second edition Werewolf book with Evan Heals the Past. He is a lost cub of the Wendigo. He was uh, told by that spirit uh, himself to that he was part of this tribe he's connected like really deeply on a spiritual level with his tribe but has never up until this story actually interacted with members of the tribe so it's this weird situation where not weird at all where the tribe really doesn't want this white kid coming in and Now he's supposedly, I think, a rank two or rank three character, even though he's never interacted with the tribe. And to claim any sort of position amongst them is incredible hubris, and they show that. The NPCs that he interacts with show that they are upset about this, they don't like it. And the way they integrate him into the tribe makes sense. And I think the progression of you are an outsider to our spiritual uh, leader, our spiritual entity that runs the tribe, or at least encourages the tribe down a certain direction. We trust them enough to listen to you and see what your worth is, and then decide if you are actually a member of our people. I just got the feeling like the collective tribe just went, fine, we'll listen to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think almost exactly what happens because there's yeah. one key character who basically says, uh, fine, we'll listen. <laughs> yeah. Like almost verbatim. <laughs> what were your thoughts about the story? I liked it. It it was uh it, it was long enough that I felt like I got some good flavor and I got a little bit of my teeth sunk into it, but it wasn't so overwritten that I was just like, oh, I don't care, move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I, I could listen to Evan talk for pages and pages because while he's not a galliard, they have him talk really poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, he actually said something like uh, about, uh, about his pack when they were fighting. I, I, I wrote the quote down, but I'm sure I wrote it wrong. Um, he said, Thunder and lightning and silver and thorn and wind and winter wind, nothing could stop us. And I like that just it felt like a song. Mm-hmm. And, and like I I don't know, like it, it, I really, I really enjoyed that. Like I feel like if you're trying to impress your tribe, like he, you know, like, well, in fact, at some point they even referred to his words as silver words. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah okay 
Um, the only thing that made me sad is he's not a galliard. <laughs> right. It's like if he was a galliard, you could immediately see him gaining renown for being such a good storyteller. Right. And instead, you know, it was just like, oh, you're being tricky. <laughs> and I was like, wait, is he a ragabash now? What is happening? Right. Uh, yeah. I encourage people, I think we're both encouraging people to read it um, and yeah. see what they can, what you can pull from it. Because I think there's a lot of good this is a good werewolf story that you could not necessarily run, but you could pull bits and pieces from in the games that you run from it. So it's Or even just get the feel of how this tribe should react. Yes. And I think it's a good representation of the ice hearts for once, like younger brother doesn't get a lot of great screen time, but when they do and when they do it right, it's solid. And this is solid and done really, really well. Yes. So. Yay. It goes from there, and then it jumps right into a chapter that I almost want to ignore um, from a recording standpoint, <laughs> just because it's merits and flaws, it's gifts, it's rules, and those are super useful. When you're creating a character, you're going to want to go through merits and flaws and have them because they offer you a lot of options for customization, but from a review standpoint, it's stats and mechanics and there's not a lot here that screams out to me as i have to talk about it i don't know if you have thoughts on chapter one um well i'd, I'd like to start off uh talking about the artwork that they use for each of the chapter heads mm -hmm. um i love it 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 so much um it, it has this like taro deck kind of feel to it uh they they do like a grayscale in a couple places but it's mostly black and white and and there's a um it, it feels very um stained glass almost mm. but because of that it feels a little vampire-y and and i had that's like my only criticism of of the chapter head artwork you know for those big those big page splashes is they're beautiful but they feel like they still are relying on the uh the need to be a little gothic punk you know world of you know look it's world of darkness instead of embracing the werewolf aspect of world of darkness they're still relying on that vampire uh gothic a little too hard like they do this really cool gothic thing and then they like splatter a, a wolf in the background that doesn't make it werewolf yeah yeah <laughs> but they're it's great artwork yeah, it, I agree. I don't really have too many major thoughts on it other than, yeah, I can see what you're getting at. Mm -hmm. So, agreed. Um, I also would like to say that all of the, the Tim Brook artwork cracks me up because it all looks like it comes from Street Fighter. <laughs> it, it might have. You never know. <laughs> And, and it just made me happy. Like, it, this isn't a complaint. I just, I, I was paging through something and I saw it and I was like, that, that looks so much like a Street Fighter character that I don't know that I can, I mean, the two games could cross over yep. very easily, but uh, it just cracked me up. So actually that's an interesting that's like crossover idea. Um, the Street Fighter werewolf crossover would probably be easier than some of the others because of the focus on combat and things like that. I think absolutely it would, because could you imagine a guru ending up in a Street Fighter ring? Yeah, a hundred percent I could uh, see that. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, sorry, Pac, I've got to go do this thing, and then they follow him, and then they're like, oh, no! <laughs> and then I can picture it as, like, I have to join this, like, it's the only way to save my kinfolk, or, like, these, like worm beasts have control of this tournament. I have to enter the tournament to destroy the worm beasts who are like the final boss. Right, exactly. Like that's so much fun. You know, or along the way, that's how you gain your pack. Oh, that would be cool too. Right? Oh. Huh. <laughs> You've got your thinking face. Here is the werewolf street fighter crossover. We never knew we wanted until right now. But you need it. <laughs> we, I, I need it right now. I've never played Street Fighter, but now I need to. And I'm going to bring in my, like, Lupus Arun uh, <laughs> character. Something like All that. All I remember about Street Fighter is that they had a lot of tokens that you, like, like um, little piece, like cardboard pieces 
that you use to tally stuff or move stuff around. I don't even remember. Like I, I played it once and you know, obviously decades ago, but I also remember that it was super fun. Yeah. It's weird. Like I knew it sort of, I sort of out of the corner of my eyes uh, knew it existed, but never saw a copy of the book. And I keep occasionally looking it up on eBay going, maybe, maybe I'll buy a copy. And then I'm like, it's, 60 bucks between like 50 yeah. and 60 bucks and I'm like and am I am I ever going to play it which is my like mantra of don't buy it if I'm never going to play it yeah I keep trying to talk my my group of uh storytellers that I always end up running with I keep trying to talk them into needing to do a street fighter larp no oh, yeah and and they're just like no and I'm like come so did I tell you, uh, this is way off topic, but we're going to run with it. Did I tell you that I actually reached out to Capcom? I spent a, a lot of time trying to figure out who in their legal department I needed to talk to about getting the LARP rule, like, rights. Like, oh. I actually got a, an email back from one person in Capcom saying, hey, I'm not in the right department. I think this sounds like a really neat idea. You should contact these people and then never got anything back from anybody else. Oh, my gosh. That would have been brilliant. It, it would have been amazing. But I'm sure the people at Capcom now are like, yeah, we did that once. We're never doing that again. But <laughs> we'll see. Who knows? One of these days I might get an email back like, thank you for contacting us three years ago. We yeah. would like to yeah. uh, move forward. Okay. <laughs> Twist my arm. Okay. Right. Yeah. All right. So th this chapter, yeah, is a bunch of stuff we've already gone over. Um, so I, I agree with you, you know, like it's, it's merits, flaws, abilities. Meh. Yeah. And none of them are bad. They're no. all stuff you're going to need. It's just um, from a review standpoint, go in, dig into it, and figure out what you need and what you want to interact with. Yeah. I will say I'm always happy when I see a section on Metis because they're my favorite breed. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the little Metis disfigurement section made me happy. Definitely. There's like, if you want, this is one of the parts about this book that I was mentioning before is like, if you want to really know how to run this game, like, using this book or having this book can be really helpful for that because you're going to find little yeah. things in here that are just not in the core book or just not anywhere else. Agreed. Which kind of brings us into chapter two, which uh, chapter two is both really valuable and really superfluous. If you have all the tribe books, like it's, a small section, it's a two to th four page, I think it might be a four page spread per tribe um, yeah. of what the tribes are about, what some of the camps are, how they view um, different um, other tribes and things like that. Again, all super valuable information unless you have the tribe books. And then it's like, wow, you spent 80 to 140 pages telling me about this stuff already. Why do I need this book already? Like with all of the same information, except they update some of it. <laughs> so just a little bit. Yeah. There's little meta plot changes and little changes that that's like, Oh, we realized this was terrible. Here's a better version of that thing. Or here's a different take on that thing. So again, like if I didn't own any other books, I would buy this book and be happy to, uh, to have this book because it's really worth it. But if I've already bought all the other books, I'm going to feel annoyed that I'm having to buy this whole other book for little incremental changes. I, I do really think that this book is meant for a brand new player. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's amazing for that reason. But if you already know this stuff, yeah, it's like, no. Yeah, and again, like, not bad, but just kind of like, mm, yeah, yeah, okay. It, it, it exists. I have this stuff. And again, you're right. It, if I was a new player, this would be huge. I would be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't need all those other books. I have everything I need in this condensed package. Well, this is a 200 page book, but in, <laughs> like all of it in this one book, as opposed to 20 books. Uh, any other Thoughts right. on chapter two? 
Uh, well, I'm I'm paging through, and like always, I I tend to focus on the art first because that gives me a flavor of the game for mm-hmm. you know what's going on. Um, and and I do like all the artwork they have for the um, for the tribes. The uh, I like that Bonar has a random hand. Like, like, you know, he killed somebody and took their hand. I think that's fun. I think it's weird that the silver fang has a really weirdly placed nipple. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, there, it just, you know, some of them are a little odd. But um, I do think that the uh, Silent Striders, um, the, the, representat- the artwork they used to represent it is one of my favorites. Because it's just really striking. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. I, I yeah. feel the same way about the silver fang one which is like a, a really regal um, kingly figure is how I would describe them. Like, sure. I don't, don't think that's Albrecht, but it's definitely someone that's like a noble within the silver. Yeah, it's, it's not Albrecht, but he does have a weird nipple. <laughs> yeah. It's just true. kind of like placed there. Like, it looks like it's a sticker. <laughs> so we just doop. Fair enough. <laughs> You're like, I hate having you on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's something that I wouldn't have picked out. And it's not a bad like thing to know. They, like, there is some odd proportioning in the yeah. in some of the images here. I, again, it doesn't, it's not bad, but if that's your first like take on what a Fianna looks like or a Geta Fenris, you're gonna be a bit like, Oh, uh, okay. Huh. Interesting yeah, choices. Yeah. Yeah. I was very proud that um, older brother, the older brother tribe, didn't have feathers randomly sticking out of the sh- character's drawing. Yep. I was proud of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> yep. The only downside is that uh, the younger brother is still wearing regalia. That's not yeah. really appropriate. Um, but, but again, like... One image at a time will take us yeah, progression. Yeah, at least it's not a full headdress. Yep. Like they have been, so, you know, it's, we'll, we'll take the goodness. We'll take that. Yep. And um, I, I do like the, the, the three little sections for the Bunyip, the Croatan, and the White Howlers. Yep. Like that made me happy because a lot of times they don't treat them like tribes. Mm-hmm. Especially the White Howlers. Um, and, and then, and I actually really dig the white howlers a lot. Like, I'm always like, if I was going to write a meta plot for werewolf, you know, I'm always, it, I always like to have one of them in the background, like a, a, a flavor or an echo of something from the past with that. But, uh, I, know, I just was very, very happy about that. So. Yeah, I agree. I actually, you, you stole my thunder, which I'm not upset about because oh, I was going sorry. to say exactly the same thing. No, not at all. Because they, I like the way they write these three write-ups on them. And then they talk to you about kind of, again, like brief overview. This is who they are. And they give you enough story hooks to use the Croatan or the Bunyip or um, the uh, uh, White Howlers. Yeah, I was getting there. I was like, white somethings. Yeah. Um I like I like that they give you enough to really like dig in and use them, which yes. is what it's all about, really. Um, and then I like that they give you things on uh, what they call the the half breeds, which problematic term, but yeah. um, they talk about the Sibarak, the dancer Ronin, the black spiral dancer Ronin, which I think we need to talk about them more. Like there's black spiral dancers that aren't brought into the tribe that Mm -hmm. or that have been kicked out of the tribe for some reason or another and offer you an opportunity to do a redemption story in a way that could be really really cool in the larp in the werewolf larp i'm playing right now i play a very elderly old woman who is like on her last legs Mm -hmm. um like for real, like every game I walk in and I go, is this the game? Do you guys want me to just fall over dead? And they're like, no, not yet. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, like I, I've given the storytellers free reign to give me a heart attack and just have me die. Like, I'm pretty sure they're going to have me die in the Karen when everyone's gone and they come back and like my knitting needles are going to be on the floor and they're going to be like, no. Yeah. Um, but I think my next character, I want to play a, a lost Ronin, you know, uh, lost, oh, lost cub of the dancer and do oh, a redemption. Yeah. See if I can do that or not. 
that or see was, if they just kill me right away because that's a good story too right one way or the other like mm-hmm. yeah that would be so super cool to just be like yeah uh, like okay i have a little bit of worm taint but i i, I haven't danced a spiral i haven't done anything wrong yeah. I, I don't even honestly i don't know what's going on yeah <laughs> right uh, and then it would be even cooler to have like um a spirit attached to you like have enough points to have a totem that is a mm. worm totem that got attached to you. It's like a kin fetch uh, spirit. Yeah. And you've got this spirit that you're just like, I don't really know why you're I... hanging around me and bugging me and you're kind of creepy. And like the other Gary were just kind of like, that's a little weird maybe. Or, or they're like actively like, we should kill your spirit. What the heck's going on? Mm-hmm. There would be so many cool layers of story there. That's my hope. Yeah, I like it. Um, I think this chapter does a really good job of doing exactly what we're finding here though, giving us little hooks and giving us little ideas that's like, Hey, here's a cool story you can play or story you can run. Um, which I think makes it worth it for storytellers as well as players to pick up this book. Um, the next couple of chapters are about, and I'm just kind of lumping them together, but we don't have to, we can dive into any specific things, um, are about being Garu and about what life as a werewolf is actually like, what you do, what you do from an auspice perspective, from a pack perspective, from a tribal perspective, which thank you. Like we've needed that. Like I actually kind of need to know what being a ragabash, what you do night to night, day to day, like without that, it's hard sometimes to figure out like, this is how our, um, how our lives are set up when we're not out on a quest or whatever. Cause you can't always yeah. be on a quest. No, ab- well, I mean you can, but that's really tiring. Right. <laughs> um, you're never getting a nap when you're on a quest. No, yeah. You need, you need nap time. Um, I think the most important thing in, in these chapters is actually the section on packs mm-hmm. because I believe for, for in werewolf anyway, that packs are the entire foundation of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you can play a packless character, but you're supposed to be in a pack. And if you're in a pack, you need to know how that's supposed to work. You know, uh, in tabletop, it's a little easier because you've got five people around the table. You're all in a pack. That's how that works. But like in a LARP, you need to be able to really know how your pack works because you're relying on them when there's five other packs around you. Um, and, and the, I think, I think this whole book or this section on packs is really, uh, helpful for that. Yeah. Agreed. Like it's interesting to note that this is a good player's handbook for both LARP and tabletop. Like it doesn't have any LARP rules, but it's still a really good, like I would hand this to someone as a, Hey, this is how this game works sort of book well it it, again it's genre Mm -hmm. and the genre in theory shouldn't be changing from a tabletop to a larp game right well in theory in theory (laughs) we all know that's not necessarily true (laughs) but in theory that is the case yeah um yeah i i i just in some ways want to lump these together in that i think there's lots of good meat here there's a lot of stuff that i would encourage people to dig into and look at but the real awesome part for me of this book comes at the very very end um so i don't know if there's anything there in the next couple of chapters you no, want to talk about i do have a, do that i do have a couple more um in the section where they're talking about the packs and the silver packs <clears throat> there's a couple pieces of art that are really kind of confusing um that they have them here they are i believe it is a start there is a a named black spiral dancer uh and I don't re- is that who it is with the whip and the yeah. yep. like i don't and she wears the crazy bondage gear yep like why is she in sections why are nah. there drawings of her in the sections by the silver pack right um, so that's a little confusing. Um, and, and they're using a lot of different artists in this section. Like, 
they've got like four different artists all you know like in a row and that's a little disconcerting um because it doesn't feel like the flavor is of of the game is flowing because you know, every artist has a different style. Mm -hmm. And so that style kind of sets the mood for the, the tone for, of the page you're reading and it influences that. And so that's a little weird to me yeah. personally. It goes from anime style art on one page to this really like dark, almost like woodcut relief on the, the next page. Mm -hmm. And I agree. And then it's like a, a watercolor wash where everything's kind of melding together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little confusing. Um, yeah. I do like the section on the moots, mm -hmm. on the moot, on how to run a moot, because moots are the most difficult thing to run ever and keep people interested. Um, even when you do it correctly, you just never know if it's going to be interesting or not. Mm -hmm. You just never know. When I used to play Werewolf LARP regularly, um, one of the problems we had is we would have to try and avoid every month being the moot being our LARP because we knew, oh, we're having a moot every month for the, for one of the particular moon phases. Um, so we would have to avoid having the moot every single month because we knew, oh, there's a monthly moot. That's a good reason for all of us to be together. But then it was like, yeah, but we don't want to spend two hours doing the moot and then having a thing occur it's just kind of weird that that would always be. Oh, the case. Your guys's moots only lasted two hours. No, I was making it sound smaller. <laughs> like <laughs> we would often have games that we like scheduled five hours for, and it would be like, okay, we're at five and a half hours. The moot needs to end, and we need to yeah. do like a tiny bit of this plot that has been going on. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. It's one of those weird things, like almost it would be better for us to have done individual like tabletop sessions with packs throughout the month and then come together as a big group to do the LARP moot. Like it almost would have been more fun than the way we ended up running our games. But yeah, it, it, it's a it's a weird balance because you also, though, don't want to cheat people that are galliards out of the chance to tell stories because right. that's literally what their character is about. Um, so it's it's just very hard, and you have to make sure that your players are all on the same page for what they want out of a mood. Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of times, like when I was running a mood at a LARP, I would just stop everyone and go, "All right, can we just fast forward through this part of it?" And everyone would go, "Yay!" Or someone would go, "I really want to do this part," and then everyone would go, "You know what? Okay, they sat through my part. I'll I'll sit through this." Mm -hmm. So it it takes a little bit more of cooperation. Which is hard in a LARP setting when you have 30 or 40 people and you're like, I need to yeah. get 30 people on the same page and agree. <laughs> yeah. See what happens. Yeah. I found bringing cookies and cupcakes help though. Always. When you feed people, they are suddenly much more likely to do what you ask them to do. I'm like, we're having a moot. Have a cupcake. And they'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Almost never is someone going to say no to that. They're just be like, That's oh, true. well, give me your cupcake. I might be gluten-free. And then you're like, I've got gluten-free cupcakes. But. Now look, surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I agree with you that there are these bits and pieces in here, like running moots, that are super valuable. Mm -hmm. So, um, agreed. Anything else in this section about those that's really jumping out at you? I am looking through my... I like the fact that they talk about um, spirits that are within a Karen. Instead of just the Karen totem, they talk that there's other spirits that hang out in your Karen as well. And that's something I've always ran, but a lot of times, a lot of other storytellers would look at me like I was nuts because I had, you know, this tree has an angling in it that everyone always goes and talks to or feeds or, or does whatever. And it's not necessarily this giant plot point, but it, it adds so much flavor to your, to your Karen and your bond that I think it's really important. Yeah. And in, an animistic world that the Garu live within, there should be more spirits like that in the world yes. that you're interacting with regularly. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree. There's tons of value in 
um, in showing a living world that the Garu like reside within. Um, there are even rules in this section that I just like glanced through that I think are useful about clave dueling, mm-hmm. um, which again, there's lots of little things here about culture and what and how you do certain things that knowing how to do a clave duel so I'm not killing the other Garu is super, super useful. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to be killing each, like all, your other like warriors, even if there's a dispute, there's gotta be rules and systems around it. Um, so I like that all of this stuff is here. The only thing that really threw me as I thought was weird that they had in this book is they have a little section on, on how a Karen falls. Mm-hmm. But it's almost written like, well, this is what a black spiral has to do to make a Karen fall. Well, players don't need to know that. Yeah. It like, almost like that should be in the bit, story mm-hmm. teller guide. It almost reads a little bit like a player's guide to being a BSD at times. Right. And it was like, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Which. Uh, there are people out there that like to play those types of characters and like to dive into those types of stories, but that's too far for me usually. Yeah. Ready to talk about the appendixes? Cause I'm excited to talk about the appendix, which I feel you were jumping. You were just, no, I still have things to talk about. All right, go ahead. <laughs> okay. And we'll do it real quickly. We're going to, I want to just mention uh, that, even in this book, they say that spirits are not gift dispensers and uh, fetish batteries, that they're, they are more than that. Um, and that is a huge issue that a lot of players and, and game runners have, because if game runners don't set that tone, then the players are just going to run with that, whatever tone you let them have. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, is this the first book that City Father has been mentioned in? I don't know it's certainly one of the earlier ones for city father to be mentioned in i think that type of figure is mentioned earlier as well but it's a good point to like call it out like this is the first one of the first times um i actually think that the idea of a city father or city mother is one of the most important changes that they put into the genre Mm -hmm. and because it changes everything it is suddenly your urban werewolves your your bonars and your glass walkers aren't just crazy evil werewolves that everyone should shun they've they've got backup now yeah and um and i i love i love running a city father or city mother because it gives it gives you as a storyteller the ability to showcase the city you're in, whether it's Chicago and you get to do mayor daily telling everyone to vote early, vote often, (laughs) or, you know, like Chattanooga where I get to uh, showcase that the trail of tears started here. Yeah. You know, but, but on, you know, on the flip side, you know, I do, I showcase that, but then she hands everyone a moon pie. (laughs) And so it's, it, people are just like, what is happening? But it's great. It's so good. You know, and, and like, like when I used to run a LARP with that and we'd have visitors come, if I knew visitors were coming, I would actually buy moon pies to hand out. And like, it was so funny to watch them because half the players would eat them right away and shove them in their mouth, which first of all, gross, moon pies are gross. <laughs> um, but then the others, they would cradle it. Like I gave them some, like a, a, fetish which it wasn't it was just a moon pie Mm -hmm. but like i had players like months later would have the same moon pie in their bag Wow! you know and so like that kind of stuff means things to players Mm -hmm. and and a a city mother or city father is really good for for adding i always talk about flavor but it's so important but not the banana flavor (laughs) it allows you to localize the story in a way that's really important yeah and i I think there's something interesting to talk about when you say like an animistic worldview means that everything has a spirit. 
and we spend a lot of time with the spirits of the wilderness and of nature. But if everything has a spirit, then even things that we think of as bad from a werewolf perspective may have a very positive spirit attached to them, particularly like Philadelphia is a city that's got some problems, but is perceived as being like this particularly powerful city with a focus on liberty and all of these things that we believe is part of the American dream. Having the city father be a, like a figure related to that allows you to do lots of interesting storytelling. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, then I, I the, okay, so, and then the last thing I want to talk about with the, the fetishes and the, all that other stuff is there's a piece of art that I really need some help with. Okay. On page 123, it's, it's when they start talking about fetishes. I don't understand this. I'm pretty sure, because it's a female guru. I think maybe she's in Glamro. Um, <laughs> but, but it's under fetishes, so I'm assuming they're supposed to be showcasing the fetishes. But I think that may be her bra. Oh. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with this photo. It's terror drawing. It's terrible on so many levels. Like it, it's this glabro-ish guru who's got, I thought it was supposed to be a clave that's dripping with blood or guts or something. But then she's got this weird like bikini top thing on that's really distracting and no one would be able to fight with boobs that big and it's just really terrible yeah one of the problems with like the cartoon style art that they dive into sometimes it's like that doesn't it doesn't fit the realities of what you would need to to show or have in this sorts of situations yeah she's also got a weird skull cap thing going on that i don't understand like it it actually looks like something like from like if ElfQuest was badly drawn. I don't <laughs> That Fair sounded enough. mean. I normally like his art, but this piece is terrible. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. Um not ev not everyone is knocked out of the park, sadly. Yeah. Um, I, I can't bring it up to say much more about it, um, which may be a, uh, a blessing in disguise. I'm not sure, but that page will not load for me on my digital version. So, Oh, oh you are so lucky. It's, it's rough for real. Everyone go to, go to page 123 and then be like, Whoa, share in my misery. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Sorry. Next. <laughs> it's all right. Anything else about um, uh, any of that section before I? Yeah, um... I think we're good. Okay. So, in the appendix, which I don't know why I'm so excited about at this stage, but in the appendix are a <laughs> set of essays. Like, yeah, I've been over like over the changing brain. Just skipped over them. They're there. They exist. Um, there is, a, again, a two to three page spat on all the changing breeds in here. I think it's great. If you don't have the books on those particular changing breeds, you can use this and you're good. You don't need anything extra. Yeah. But to me, like at the end of this book, like if I had these four essays, I think they are um, in a little like uh, pamphlet of their own this would give me so much as a storyteller that I think there's so much value in just reading these. Um, they're essays written out of character by people like Bill Bridges, Justin Achille, and Ethan Skemp. Um, and they're about different little slivers of the game and how to mm -hmm. run the game. Um, in particular, the one about Hirano. I think Hirano is one of the least understood elements of this game but one of the ones that i find the most compelling um and as a, a, a u.s army veteran with um issues and with friends with issues the idea of going to war and coming back from war uh, and what that does to you uh and then living in a world where you're perpetually at war what would that look like to you um yeah 
that's it's super compelling. So that essay particularly, I think, is super super valuable, and one that I uh, I wish everybody would read. I I really I actually enjoyed that one quite a bit because it was um, it just showed how delicate it was. Mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of times these books they tell you, Hirano, it's the most terrible thing in the world. You can't get over it. And then they give you like 30 ways to get out of it. <laughs> right. And you're just like, well, that doesn't nah, you know, but uh <clears throat> but you know, this this was a a very, you know, you have to handle this carefully as well. Yeah. And it suggests um ways of of dealing uh, being careful with your players and with the story in a way that's respectful and it's for yeah. a book from 1998 like ahead of its time in that desire to be appropriate with storytelling elements and Justin Achilles essay does the same thing where it's like yes this is mature but mature doesn't mean just saying fuck all the time it is so much more okay you know what that. I'm gonna I'm going to disagree with you. I think okay. his essay was terrible. Okay. Because um, he, he talks down to people. Like, mm. if you're trying to talk to people about being mature. Mm-hmm. Actually be mature with them. Calling them names. Yeah, he was, it was not handled maturely at all. I mean, at one point he calls someone, uh, or he, he refers to people that don't role play the way he likes them to as uh, social, and then the R word. Mm. Yeah, it's a problem. You know, like it, it just like no, you don't get to, you don't get to talk, you don't get to tell someone that they're role playing wrong. Mm-hmm. You can tell them, hey, we could role play better. That, that's fine, but you know, like it's a game, right? Don't don't be down on people. If people want to play werewolf superheroes, let them play werewolf superheroes. If sure. everyone is at the table having fun. Sure then they're doing it right. They're having fun. And I, I don't know, like it just, it really hackled me. Like it it raised my hackles the the way he was referring to people. And, and, you know, like I felt like he was talking down to me Hmm. and I didn't like that. I think that's totally valid. And I think one of the advantages we have is we've thought a lot more about how we talk about these things in the last Mm -hmm. 20 years, 22 years at this stage. Um, and we can, we do it better. You know, you do it better on honor roll podcasts when we're talking about, you know, helping people up their game um, or level up. Um, and I think we, um, we want to level up our role playing. So I absolutely yeah. agree with you. Um, I think there's good bits of this essay, but I, I, I feel what you're saying strongly. So I think that's totally valid. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I think Ethan's essay at the end, though, it tells us a lot about well, no, genre. Actually, the, so. the mature role playing was Justin. That's right. Because Ethan wrote the last one, the afterthoughts. Yep. Afterthoughts, which I think is this one to me is again solid. But yeah, um, I think what it's doing is telling you, like, reminding you, like, humanity is the problem. It's not the worm necessarily, but there are all these little like things to remember about about theme and mood and tone and just a couple of sentences on those things that are really useful um, to, to have there. I'm trying to find, there's a quote he said that was really awesome and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about, uh, <clears throat> if a person has worm taint on him, that doesn't indicate that the devil made him do it. It just means that he did it and that the devil noticed. Yes. Like the devil noticed. I went, oh yeah, that's good stuff there. You know, um, I've always, like, I love the idea that the most evil thing in the world is man, not the worm. Yes. And, and I think that that is a, a theme that werewolf kind of forgets because we like to go no evil bad things are monsters yeah but as, you are a monster players, mm-hmm. but as players we want to believe that humanity humans just just regular people want to believe that if someone does something inhuman that means that they're inhuman mm-hmm. in in you know it's really 
like I honestly believe that people that do these inhuman things in the world, there's something so wrong with them. Like, because I don't believe any sane person could hurt a child or even hurt a dog or, you know, like if you, you know, like there, there's something wrong with them. And it's really, it's easier to go, well, people are doing these terrible things because the worm got in them and are making them do it, you know, and, and it's almost a safety blanket. Is the opposite. Like it in the game, it's like people are horrible. People do horrible things. And the mm-hmm. worm is going, oh, I can use that. Right. But I'm saying as the players are going to lean towards it the other way, because as people, we want to believe that. Yep. Yep. And it's... And- there's a delicate balance there too. Cause you know, you also don't want to like run something that's so terrible and upsetting that your players don't want to play it. Yeah. True. That's like the, the balance of the horror game is like, you're still having fun or you should still be in like endeavoring to have an enjoyable uh, situation. I don't know. It's weird because it fun is kind of a weird word with horror games, but yeah, yeah. you're searching for something where people are going to go. Yeah. Uh, I, that time was some time well spent and you don't want them to go. I would never want to do that again. Right. Um, That's how f- I feel about Wraith. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just like, I can't do that again. It's too Fair. much. <laughs> Fair. Um, there's a section of this essay um, about palpable evil. Like there is palpable evil in the universe in this, in the universe of werewolf, but moral issues are not necessarily black and white and the worm's not the source of all evil. And I think with what we were just talking about, I think that that line right there, like that's, yes, evil is palpable, can be a physical thing, both in our real world and in the world of werewolf, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are in the right for taking certain actions against it. And that's a hard thing to to figure out, particularly when you're a murdering rage monster. So, um, overall thoughts on the player's guide. <clears throat> I think it's great. I think everyone should own it. I don't think that you need to read it cover to cover. I think you read the sections you need. If you're a brand new player, read it cover to cover. Mm-hmm. You'll learn a lot. You're going to, you're going to feel better about the game. You're going to feel more grounded in the game. If you are a seasoned player, you get that so you can read the part on moots or read the part on whatever it is that your character is focusing on to get a refresher of it. Yep. This is an amazing book. If you want to keep your library slim. Yes. In so far as you don't necessarily need to get all the breed books or the tribe books or a bunch of other books. You can just get this book, get the core book and you could play this game and you would have Mm -hmm absolutely everything you need and i actually think this i don't remember the revised one enough to say go get the revised one potentially as well but this book in particular with the werewolf 20th book i think would be a great combo some of i think you need i think you need the revised book just for the cover okay fair um (laughs) when we review that book we'll figure out if there are other elements of it okay fair dive in um um I do want to add, I think it's very fun. Um, they they apparently had extra artwork for this book. Mm-hmm. And so they just put it in the back in the index. They were just like, oh, look, extra artwork. We'll just put it every couple pages in the index. Um, you know, I'm assuming they must have paid for art that they realized they didn't need. And so they put it in. And I actually, I love that. Like, like good for good for them for supporting those artists they bought the artwork from good good for them for giving us the the readers more art to digest mm-hmm. um you know when they didn't have to um so i think that's super cool it seems like with the way the art was managed in this book that maybe they had two books planned or more books planned and they were like, oh, well, we're not doing those books anymore. We're going to do yeah. this player's guide. We have all this art. Let's shake it in here and just see what happens and go forward, which is mm-hmm. fine. That's, that is a, my version of, <laughs> of book development. Shake everything out that you can get and see what happens. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily the best form of book development, but it is one way of doing it. I think I would give this book a pretty high rating if you, um, by itself, 
probably like a nine, I don't know, uh, nine wolf claws out of 10 by itself, but within the range of the other books around it, I would probably say it's more like a seven out of 10. If you don't have the other books, I think this is essential. I would give it a 10. Okay. I, I think that you need this book to play this game. Mm. Um, now, if you have all of the other books already, <laughs> I agree with you. I think it's probably a seven. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes, puts it in a weird place uh, as a book. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we've ever had a book like this where we've thought like, Hey, it, it fits two different niches, you know, but it, it fits, does. It, it absolutely does. Yep. A hundred percent. So Hopefully, um, people have enjoyed our review of this. Until we get an answer to When Will You Rage, we will see you again next time. The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.